All right, purposely offside here. We're still quarantined. We're staying safe. We're keeping our distance. We're social distancing. And that's why uh, we're, we're on this format here, which is going to be very different from our audience. Um, but not from an audio perspective, but we do finally have video. Um, so here we are. Jordan. Finally, it's only taken us like a year to get yeah. this up and running. And it's taken a it's taken an entire global shutdown for us to get it going. So so different. We used to literally go down to McMaster to record. Now we're just you no know, recording yeah. in the comfort of our own homes. Yeah. Radio to podcasting to video podcasting all in a matter love of months. So love, <laughs> love it, it buddy. Love it. So we're back. We're here. We have a great guest on today. Uh, Brett Gustafson is with us today. He is a former member of the Ottawa 67s and Belleville Bulls of the uh, Ontario Hockey League and a former member of the Carlton Ravens uh, playing U-Sport hockey in uh, in Ottawa. Welcome, Brett. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, for thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, buddy. So how have you been uh, during this whole quarantine era that we're living in right now? I, I think just taking it day by day. Um, you know, for the first couple so. days, everyone's, you know, finally getting to stay at home and relaxing and hanging out like they always want to do during their uh, busy work schedules. And then uh, I think we're kind of at the point now where people want to start breaking out of their house, but I think everyone's taking the right precautions and it's the, uh, it's the right thing to do as a country. Yeah. hundred percent. It's like last week was last week was relaxing. This week is just like, okay, I want to go out. I want to watch sports. I want to do everything that's normal in life. Yeah, I think the diet's starting to slip a little oh. bit. That's what's bothering me. Free start of the first few days. Yeah, I'm gonna, you know, have a strict diet. I'm gonna work out. You know, you buy some weights like I did, and then all of a sudden the the second week slips in, and then you start to kind of get a little bit lazy. You I just to, took, start I, to crack the chips open a little bit, <laughs> the candies, and then every you know, night it's all downhill from there, boys. I just took down two burgers before we got on here yeah, today. Like exactly. I, it was like seven o'clock. I'm like, <laughs> I, I gotta, I gotta start going here. Well, there so. you go. So. Brett, um, game seven, the winner against Barry, uh, the Barry Colts back in 2012. That's got to be probably one of your most fondest memories uh, when you're playing in the OHL, right? For sure. Yeah. That was like, it, it's, it's crazy to look back. And that was eight years ago today. Oh, I know. Um, but uh, no, what a time it was. It was, um, you know, I think major junior, junior in general, people really cater to that hockey. You know, it's uh, you never know what you're going to get night to night. And, I think uh, that goal is definitely a moment that I'll always remember personally, my family. I, you kind of remember where everything was that night. Um, that being said, it's just, it's always fun to win. No matter how you win, no matter who scores the goal at the end of the day, it's fun to compete and it's fun to win in the long, in the, uh, in the end of things there. So um, yeah, that is something I'll definitely remember. The, the series was absolutely incredible. The players in it, you know, oh, yeah. looking back at, looking at guys, like, uh, you know, Mark Shifley, who is uh, an icon in the NHL Sniper. now, a great player, a guy who yeah. came from literally being a stick boy in, in Barrie to being an NHL superstar. So you really look back, not so much at those moments, but who you played against, who you played with, the adversity, you had the battle. Um, that series, if I could ever go back and watch one, would be one I would go back and watch a hundred times because just I don't think what a lot of people, <clears throat> a lot of people recognize about that game was we had scored the game-winning goal potentially with about 30 seconds left. My roommate at the time, uh, Sean Monahan, scored with, I, I believe, just over 30 seconds. And uh, we thought we had the game in the, in the bag. The, the crowd was going crazy. And with around one second left, uh, Shifley bats one in out of midair and scores wow. with, um, you know, 
second, like literally under a second left on the clock. So a lot of people don't remember that. And I think that's why that game had so much pace and like the fans were so in it. And uh, yeah, it, it was a special moment to be able to, um, you know, yeah. throw yourself out on the ice and, and, and live in the moment for sure. But mm-hmm. there's so much more to that game and that series that, that I remember. So that's cool. gonna that's gonna add to it though, right? That the fact that they scored late when you guys thought you had it, and yeah. and then to get that winner just must be like the best feeling in the world. Well, a funny story that a lot of people also don't know about it was I wasn't even supposed to go on the ice. Um, my my uh, <laughs> my roommate who I I, I live with in, in at Carlton for my first couple of years. Um, I remember him. I, I don't. I, it was a weird situation. It was just a lot of fumbling on the bench and it was like something else called you to jump over the boards and uh, you know, skating down to the corner, putting one on net and then going in. I remember, I just remember the, the blank sound in the arena. You couldn't really hear much. And then it kind of all sunk in in the next yeah. minute, two minutes. And uh, yeah, it was um, just a, yeah, a moment that you'll always remember for sure. Awesome. Wow. Just look at the names that you just tossed out there. Shifley, mm-hmm. Monaghan, like just, just hearing you talk about it, I can just picture just how crazy of a game them. I and you're just playing with, you know, the studs that you did. We were actually, um, we were talking today about it when we were preparing for this and we were just going through some of the, the teammates that you had and, you know, just talking about, you know, this game seven and, and uh, you know, just who you were playing against. And, you know, we're just looking through some of the names like the Monaghan's and, um, you know, Connor Brown, Cody Cece, mm-hmm. Peter Morazic, like all these bona fide NHLers that you played with. Like, Tofoli. Yeah. yeah. Tofoli was on Peter, my list as well. Yeah, like, that whole, that whole series had superstar potential in it. And I think that's what made the series because you're getting input from all four lines, all three D pairings. The goalies were incredible. Nina Berger. Uh, I don't want to butcher his name, but I believe his name is Nina Berger. Yeah, um, yeah. He's of German descent, but an unbelievable goalie who won them games and vice versa with Barazic who stole some games for us as well. So it's just one of those battles that, you know, you see in NHL playoff series now yeah. and you're so fortunate to see it because that's what keeps the viewer engaged. And um, that was the real standout from that series. You know what? We all we all need something to watch right now since there's no sports on. Maybe we should go back and watch this series. Yeah. Yeah, that was on VHS if it was that long. <laughs> you know what though? Like, maybe, I don't know. When I look at 2012, I still think like, wow, that was like what a couple of years ago, but it's it's yeah. a long time ago. Like 20 it, it was 8 years ago, but you know, those those memories don't fade, man. Those memories stay with you because they they mean so much. Um was there ever a specific like player you hated playing against in the OHL? <laughs> um, I think anyone who played like me, I hated. Yeah, I um, <laughs> so I think that's the best way to put it. I never, yeah. I, 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 I can tell you, I've never hated a guy off the ice that I played against. Um, that being said, I've had battles against some of my, my best friends uh, mm-hmm. because that's the compete level that you need to succeed. Um, and you see these guys in the NHL now with that mentality and, um, it's scary because you want to win. And when someone wants to win, they'll do just about anything it takes within the guidelines of the rules, of course. Um, but no players that I hated, uh, I remember London, the, the Rupert, uh, the Rupert brothers, uh, I believe they're twins. Um, but, uh, they played a very 
hard game. They weren't big in stature, but they're very solid on their feet. They're always causing commotion on the ice. They could put they could put the puck away. They could pass the puck. They could play on the power play. They could penalty kill. And for me, I really looked up to guys like that. Although I hated playing against them, and they probably the same situation with me. Um, you you develop kind of an appreciation for them. So that's how so, I put that one. Yeah, you you played you played hard. You played physical fearless you know you, you had the sandpaper to your game that you know nhl teams covet um speaking of that though like do you think or do you feel the nhl or just hockey in general is kind of moving away from like that style play or physicality or do you think it's a that's always going to be a critical component to the game i i think when it comes to fighting um i don't want to touch too much on this subject because it's so sensitive but yeah yeah um what I would say is there is a place, there will always be a place in hockey for physicality. 100%. Um, but I think as hockey players, you understand that line between stepping over the line is considered slashing someone, you know, above the shoulder area. Like that's, that's uncalled for that part of the game you won't see anymore. And I hope you don't see it um, in terms of a, a player like, like a Zach Cassian or guys or a Kyle Clifford, you're going to see those guys can continue to excel in the NHL because they put people off edge. And um, if there is one thing that I had to take into every game was I have to make it hard for them to play against me. And the, and the truth is that comes from physicality and that comes from um, irritating your opponent. So do I see physicality going down? No. Do I see the blind, uh, the blind ice hits. Absolutely. Um, Do I see unnecessary fighting at the start of periods? Yeah, I can see that leaving the game, but there's going to be a place for fighting when it's meant to be. And it's hard to describe that moment, Mm -hmm. but that will always exist in the game. And I think should exist because in a sense, it's kind of counters on both sides is it helps the game become safer in a sense too. And um, for those who have played the game will understand that. And for who, those who watch the game too, understand that as well. Um, they are the bodyguards of the ice. So I, I do think you, you, you see that stick around. Um, but yes, you are looking for less injuries. You're looking for people to, you know, get their contract paid out. They, we don't, we don't want injuries and especially right. as players, you don't want to see that either. hundred percent. Yeah. I think you, I think you nailed it too. I think what the NHL's sort of phased out is like the goonish, hockey like just like mm-hmm. the full-fledged fighter that's just only on the ice to fight like you're seeing you just name guys like cassian and and clifford like guys that are just tough as dales <clears throat> super physical hockey players but they also have a skill set to them and and you know um are just good players as well so i think yeah they're they're phasing out the dirty or dirtier aspects of the game and cleaning it up but but they i still don't think that they've they've lost like a lot of people call it like soft nhl nowadays i don't think it's I don't think it's soft by any means. I just by think no it's means. not not, yeah. no means, not yeah. dirty like yeah. the like the NHL that we're used to right. seeing like the 90s hockey where you just have like goons on the fourth line and guys who just really shouldn't be playing. Um, but they're just out there just to protect star players and, and things like yeah. that. So, yeah, I think, I agree. Just, I think you really nailed it that way. There's a difference too between uh, playing tough and, and, and playing yeah, dirty. Sure. Exactly. And playing, and playing tough means playing within the rules – and using all of your assets to, you know, inflict irritation on the other team or, yeah. or to cause commotion or to get a guy off their game because hockey is very much a, a, a mental game as well. 
100%. So, and a prime example is when I brought up Cassian, I remember one of my games was against him and I was scared to not dump the puck at the red line because I knew if I held on to that puck and tried to carry it on his own, look who was coming across the ice, right? So that's yeah. an example of what those players can offer their teams now. Oh, for sure. And it's a, uh, it's a different game, like obviously than, than it was back then, but the physicality is always going to be there. Cause like you said, it's, it's, it's just part of the game. It's just maybe the type of physicality that that might change, but I agree, man. Like you said it perfectly. It's always going to remain part of the game. Um, going back to, you know, your OHL career, uh, we talked about maybe some players that maybe you hated playing against. Was there ever a team that you loved playing against where you just went into that night and you're like, I'm going to rack up a couple points tonight. Um, I, I, I always like for, and I don't think many people will say this, but I, I love playing in Ottawa. Ottawa was yeah. great. The fans were amazing. I, I, I still see them at games now when I go back. Um, the fans in Ottawa were great. It's a great atmosphere to play in. Uh, but as far as road opponents go, um, I loved playing in Saginaw. I don't know why. Saginaw, really? I, I never would have ever. I don't know why. Um, I always, like, that being said, I always, ha- I always played well in Saginaw, but just something I always felt good when I played there. Um, we always seemed to win when we went there, and they, and they were a good team um most of those years so um it, it, again it's hockey's a weird game you'll have all these superstitions and these weird feelings and weird rinks and think that an atmosphere can make you play better so i yeah. think that's a, a little always in your head but um yeah i, I would have to say saginaw <laughs> yeah that's yeah. it sometimes it's just the it's just the place you play like even like when i play soccer on thursday nights like rec league there's mm-hmm. like last year we played at redeemer jordan this year we're playing at soccer world like i played for something about redeemer that just brings the best out of my game i don't know if it's the the arena or the stadium like i don't know it's just well if you have you have past success in a in a, a certain barn or you just have a yeah you know, game on one night you, you just get a feeling for it. like like brett yeah. said you get a good feeling you have good success and you know that just that just stays with you right yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. How about let's go off ice memories, Brett? What's what's your most memorable off ice memory? Did you ever like meet someone through your you know your time in the OHL and you were just completely starstruck? Was it like a night out with the guys? What's your most memorable off ice moment? To be honest, like not playing now, um, you try to pinpoint an exact moment. And you can't because what you miss most and what, what I miss most about hockey is that um, I miss playing the game. I miss competing. That's for sure. But the thing that you, you miss most when you leave hockey is the dressing room, you know, every day, like I would wake up and just be thrilled to go into the dressing room because I know you can, the shenanigans that go on in a, in a hockey dressing room are, are um <laughs> are one of a kind you know people are always harassing each other you know oh, yeah. always and not in a bad way by any means but yeah. always you know just trying to flip flick someone's ticker a little bit and uh <laughs> you know whether it's you know a little shaving cream in someone's uh towel after a shower like yeah, yeah. people take those in 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 good ways but you always got if you are one of those people pranking other people uh you certainly got to watch out so um uh, what do I miss most? Definitely the dressing room atmosphere. Road yeah. trips are an absolute blast. Um, I would say some of my some of my favorite um, some of my favorite memories came uh, at Carlton. 
uh, Carleton, you know, I went there for, for an education prior to, uh, my, uh, OHL experience. And, um, you know, I loved it. I, I, I catered to the hockey. Um, but what I liked most about it is that you had a team where nobody could be traded. Once you're on that team, right. you're stuck yeah. at that school and the, uh, the friendships and, and, and the things you do throughout the week, you know, um, and on the weekends, of course, you're having, you're yeah. having the, uh, the, the, uh, the obvious let go here and there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I would say just being able to be with the team and, and, and meet so many great people that, you know, you're still in touch with today. And I always look back and think like, I'm screwed if I have my wedding anytime soon, because, you know, you know, so <laughs> many people yeah. and uh, so many teammates and you're like, I couldn't let, leave that guy off the list. But, yeah. Um, that's how I try to characterize it, that you miss going into the room. You miss being with, you know, your second family. Um, you miss suffering, you miss the ups and downs, but at, in the long run, you're all together. So um, it's for me, it's impossible to pin down a, a certain moment. It's, yeah. uh, it's the experience as a whole. Absolutely. Um, so I, I, it kind of goes into my next question. Cause I was, I mean, you've been, whether it was from you playing um, midget hockey, all the way up to uh, you playing with the Carlton Ravens, you've been with some successful teams over the years. Um, so I just wanted to, you know, kind of pick your brain on like what you think is the key ingredient to success for a hockey team. Um, I think I kind of covered it. In yeah. The that's what question that, there. That's, yeah, that's, you, that's you, what I'm thinking, you're, right? Like you're it's completely correct. Um, yeah. Any year that I've been successful, um, you know, my minor midget year, prime example, we're complete underdogs. Um, uh, I'm playing with one of my, my good buddies, Sean Monahan, who now plays in Calgary. Um, and we had a, we had a team that, you know, were we the most skilled team in the league? Absolutely not. Um, a good team needs a good coach. And I think mm-hmm. um, first and for- foremost that season, we had an amazing coach, uh, Adrian LaMonaco. He coached me for three years with the Mississauga Rebels. Mm-hmm. Um, now does skills development at the MasterCard Center where the, um, where the Leafs and uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of the Olympic teams practice now. Um, but first, yeah, a, a coach for sure. But second, in something you need on every winning team. And I think you'll hear that about from podcasts of, that I've heard about the St. Louis Blues is that you need a team that really gels together. Yeah. Teams that can tolerate each other. It's a good, healthy relationship. You know, you, again, you go in through ups and downs and there's going to be players that you butt heads with, but at the time, at the, at the same time, you all have the same, uh, the same common goal. And if you have that, it's very hard to not be successful, but it's yeah. also hard to find that bond as well. So for yes. me, I would say the bond around my teammates was most important. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a brotherhood, right? It's when you, you guys are fighting for each other, whether, you know, it's on the ice and, and when you guys are tight as a group, then obviously it's, that's going to show in, in your play, no matter how skilled your team is or how skilled any team is like being a team and, and fighting for one another is obviously a critical component to success. So you now it's a great answer. And, and um, I think it's anywhere in life too. Yeah. Oh yeah. If you have a good team, no matter where you are working, if you're a good teammate, um, and you're working with those around you, you're, you're deemed to be successful, not just as a person, but as a group yeah. as a whole. Um, and you know, that's just based off any experience that I've had. And again, going into the OHL and our playoff run, our two national championships at Carlton or championship, uh, tournaments at Carlton, those again, 
good teams, good teams, good teams. So it's obvious what you need to be successful. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so how's Ottawa? You're still living in Ottawa. You're still, uh, still part of that community. How was it down there? Um, I, I love Ottawa. Um, my parents always kind of harassed me to come back home to, uh, to Scarborough or Toronto, yeah. if you want to call it that. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I, Ottawa, it meant a lot to me when I first moved, uh, I moved there when I was drafted and it's funny. One thing my, my dad told me when he was about to leave the rink after training camp was like, he's like, I can never see you leaving this place. And, and, and sure enough, I stuck in Ottawa for, uh, well, I think it's about around 10 years now, yeah. which is crazy, yeah. but, um, Ottawa is an awesome town. It's young. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot to do, uh, you know, going over to Quebec, going through the parks, uh, you know, there's a great downtown district. Um, everyone's young and alive and I, and I love it. Every, it's a, uh, it's a great community. I have a lot of good friends there now yeah. and a lot of players that I played with, either in Ottawa or in Belleville or um, even at Carleton still live there now. So it's a, uh, it's become a second home to me for sure. Yeah. I think, it's, I think ahead, most, I think most people, um, even most hockey fans even forget that Ottawa has a pretty historic, you know, junior hockey team mm-hmm. in the 67s. Yeah. The, you know, the Sens um, most of the time, but I mean, yeah, you just nailed it. They have a pretty damn good junior program there as well. So um, it, it's interesting when you, when you hear about like the OHL and, and just the one thing you always hear about is just how tight knit like their fan bases are because they're mostly uh, small town communities and teams that don't have major sports any, in, anywhere. So like, you know, you mentioned that your favorite place to play was in, in Saginaw, but um, you know, did you have a an, another local rink, like even around like the the Toronto area and the, the Toronto teams that uh, you found that uh, you like to play in too? Like, did you ever get a? Did you ever play against the um, the Bulldogs, or were they not a team? Well, no, I guess they're all Belleville. No, he was in Belleville the last year. Yeah, yeah last year in Belleville. So, um, they, so they are the now Hamilton Bulldogs, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So we were. It was um, what a year going like in Belleville. That was the last year of junior hockey in Belleville. So you were on the team during yep. the last season. Oh, wow. That was what was, what was that like? Crazy. Um, so I got traded there in the summer after my fourth year in Ottawa, um, was going in as an overager. Um, didn't really know what to expect. We had a great start to the season. So we're excited. We traded for some great players after that. Um, and then, just kind of in the, in the news or in the wind, you, you started hearing about, you know, the team possibly not coming back next year. And we thought it was a massive farce at the time. And sure enough, um, it was true. And um, the city of Belleville, my, my billets in Belleville were great people and, and massive supporters of uh, the organization. And they did a lot with, you know, the, the community too, like a lot of our camps um, directly impacted, you know, uh, the young kids who, who lived in Belleville there and a lot of hockey camps, off ice training, you know, sports and things like that. So they gave a lot back to the community as well. Um, it never, it never made sense to me why hockey left Belleville. Obviously there's, there's, there's reasons out there, but, um, it certainly wasn't the fan base. They were amazing. They loved hockey. They, they were there every Wednesday night, which is the weirdest home night to ever have in junior <laughs> hockey. Yeah. Um, but, and I think we keep, 
catch people sleeping on those games because who, who's playing on a Wednesday yeah. when, you're go, when, especially when you're going to school during the week. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it was, it was sad actually. Like it was the first time that I, I felt, um, like emotional that, a that a hockey team was leaving a town and how much it actually impacted everyone. So, uh, we gave it a good round, uh, or a good, uh, a good year there, but the support from the fans was just, you can't make it up. It was, it was incredible. And I, I look back at photos sometimes of that game and in the last couple of games we had there and they were selling out, uh, you know, the last 10, 15, 20 games of the season there, knowing that this was going to happen. So yeah, it, a weird, a weird situation to be in. So Brett, let's say, you know, let's say you were playing um, with Carlton this year or in the OHL this year, hypothetically, how does something like what's going on right now with the coronavirus and COVID-19, um, what does that do to an athlete that's midway through a season? Like how does that set them back and, and how long do they need potentially to um, basically train and come back if there's ever hope for hockey or sports to come back? I, I, I think first of all, it matters what part of your career you're in. Um, for someone who's about to go into their draft year or finishing a draft year, um, it's got to be a little different in terms of, you know, they, they don't see your full potential in the last 20, 30 games of the year. Um, who I really felt bad for this year and having a, a, the, uh, the chance to go to uh, two national championships was the fourth year in senior players in universities who, yeah. you know, that's it. Um, I know. They, they, they show up at the tournament and I believe it was in Halifax again this year. And um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine ending my hockey career like that. Um, yeah. My last game was in nationals against UNB. It was a battle. We lost, we lost the right way. Um, but at least you can say, you know what? I left it all out there. It's very tough to say it's done. It's done. Um, yeah. It's, it's, I, I can't even imagine that for myself. Uh, and if you're looking for like what NHL players would have to go for, if there's a, a potential playoff, who, like, again, these, they, they have state of the art gyms at home, but hockey is a weird game. Cause you could work out all summer. Exactly. You could work out two, three times a day. It doesn't matter. Cause you miss the timing on the ice, uh, you know, catching pucks. Like it's not like being on the ice. And when you're not on the ice, you suffer no matter how hard you train off the ice. It takes time to adapt back to it, which is why, you know, there would be, I would, I would like to say there'd be a week period or a week and a half period where they would be simply just practicing between teams uh, because who knows what status these guys are in their game, especially being off for such a long period of time. Yeah. I guess the closest thing like we as fans or even the players would have to reference back to was, was, uh, was it back in 20, when was the lockout when they came back mid-year? Was that uh, five? 20, 2013. 2013. When yeah, they played 48. Yeah, when they, they played, played 48. 40, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's probably like the closest, you know, thing <clears throat> we can reference in terms of how, yeah. you know, just players just stayed ready. So, and so I think, yeah. I, I think too, is, is uh, the length of the season too. Yeah. So you got to think about the teams who are injured versus the teams who are, you know, who are flying at this time, right? Yeah, you can have a team that was on the way up while a team was on the way down, and that kind of all gets halted and evened out after. Um, some teams need, you know, medical assistance. They need their their guys to rest up. 
um, you know, from long-term nagging injuries, surgeries. Um, and then you have other teams that are just, you know, licking their chops to play because they're healthy. Yeah. And they're like, this is a time we take advantage of other teams because the hardest thing about the NHL season is not being a skilled team or not. Um, it's about consistency. But consistency gets harder later in the season when guys are starting to hurt and when yeah. you're plugging guys in and out of the lineup. So it takes away from what the NHL is when you get rid of that 30 games. Because you've seen in the St. Louis Blues are a prime example of that last year where I'm pretty sure they're in last place at one point. Oh, yeah. yeah. Last January, year, right? Jan- January, January yeah. Um And sure enough, here they were. So you would have never saw what they did last year Yeah. if – say the playoffs were to uh, resume. Yeah, 100%. You would not see that because you wouldn't see that season take place. So yeah. it, it, it leaves you with the what if. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. Well, hopefully we get some sports back soon, buddy, because all I have right now is my NHL 20. <laughs> I got virtual sports, and I'm, I'm even getting bored of that after a couple of days. Jor- Jordan was actually telling me the other night he was in an NBA 2K money tournament. Yeah. Okay. But that's what it's come down to. That's what it's come to, man. That's how we're getting our fix. Like you were watching it or competing? Playing. <laughs> Playing virtually. <laughs> Putting money on the table against my, my my thumbs and my NBA skills. I would love to do that with <laughs> the uh the NHL twenty there. Yeah. What do you got? Yeah. You got? Xbox, PS4? What do you what do you want? Xbox. Nice. Yeah, you just you just get a few of the boys together, throw some money in and just create your own tournament and just winner take all, man. Yeah. We, we've been yeah, getting, get, get your gambling fix in a little bit. It's better than going to the casino, I guess. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah. We're, we're all doing things to get our fix, man. Like we've been playing virtual poker, you know, playing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, we're getting really creative now, but uh, <clears throat> we appreciate you joining us, Brett. Um, that was uh, that was a great conversation. Uh, we hope you stay safe and we got to do this again sometime. You guys as well. Yeah. And uh, no, thanks for having me on guys. And it's uh yeah, when I heard about the podcast, I was I've never been on a podcast before, so oh, man. Um, definitely happy on excited. Yeah, you're always sure, guys. always welcome back, buddy. Yeah, man, thanks awesome. for doing this. Brett Gustafson, former uh, OHLer, former member of the Ottawa 67s and Belleville Bulls, and of course, uh, member of the Carlton Ravens. One heck of a conversation. I love, and this is just going back to um, all the the player um, interviews, like the few we've had, the, mm. the thing I love to hear about is just the, the, the recollection of you always hear about the room and like the guys in the room, the players in the room. Like that's if, if you're an athlete and you've, you know, played a team sport, mm-hmm. you know, exactly what Brett was talking about. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's at all levels of, of competition, right? Like yeah. it's, it's not but just, it's, it's very distinct with hockey players and hockey teams. Like, yeah, y- there's just, a, there's just some sort It just hockey teams and hockey players just take it to in a whole nother step and another level um, compared to other team sports. Like the, there's something about that is like, I don't know. I can't, it's hard to explain unless okay. you've played, you just know. So let's, let's, let's blend this into kind of the focus of our podcast, which is usually talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Right, so we'll talk about rooms, and since we got nothing else to talk about because there's no sports on, yeah, exactly. It's, would, it's, would, would you say that the Leafs fit that description that Brett described, like a, well, a tight knit locker room? Like, do you think they have that based on what you see on their play or how they played the season? I think they have the foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, what Brett's sort of referring to is, is chemistry and it's, it's cohesion. And you only get that by keeping a team together for a long time. Yeah. He talked, he talked about it with, when he was with Carlton. Yeah. Yeah. He was with the same guys for roughly four years. And he he mentioned St. Louis and he started talking about, you know, the, the junior teams that he was on. You need to have cohesion and chemistry in order to build the, a franchise. And St. And Louis was together for like that core was together for quite a while. I'm right? going to, re- I'm going to refer to Washington too, because yeah. they were the, the, the and Tampa Bay is another team. Like they're, they're a team that's always been there. They, they talk about they can't win the big game. They get upset in the playoffs. And then all of a sudden just, it just clicks where they'll, a team will bring in just a select few players to continue building. And then it'll just finally click for that team. And then they'll end up winning a cup. When when no and and it happened with Washington, everyone wrote them off, and and they were finally not a, a cup favorite, mm-hmm. and then they put it all together and ended up winning a cup that season. So bringing it back to the Leafs, though, like from the outside looking in, like we're not in their dressing room, but it looks like they have a pretty cohesive group. So are you saying maybe their oh, core is oh, there? The like core is there. Yeah, they're, they're filling they're filling in pieces as they go, but the 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 crucial element to them is keeping this group together yeah. and they're trying to do that by signing their young guns to long-term deals. And unfortunately they're the, the, the issue that Dubas is running into is they're running out of cap space to be able to keep guys other than their core together. Um, they signed, you know, they just signed Nylander long-term Marner just resigned Matthews. Uh, they got Morgan under contract. They just resigned Muzzin, um, they've have still have Freddie for a few more years. Like they they have that core there. And so most teams yeah. in a cap in a cap era, the toughest part is keeping your core together long term, and mm-hmm. then adding the right pieces at the right time when you think you're ready to go on a cup run. And, and I that's think what the Leafs are trying to do. But I think you just nailed you just nailed it on the head. Like that's what the Leafs have been experiencing this year and maybe a reason why, and I say struggled because the expectations were really high, but in reality they're third place in the Atlantic and currently in a playoff spot if the season ever resumes. But um, I think you just nailed it. It's surrounding the core with the proper players, right? And let's face it, the defense that they've had this year hasn't been the strongest. They've also had a lot of injuries, mind you. Um, but I think that's that's key. It's it's the players you surround the core with, and maybe um, maybe there's been a lack of depth in that sense. And it's it's a tough situation, and like you said, in, in a cap world where you can only spend what eighty two million dollars for a roster of twenty three players, it's it's a difficult task. So, are you preaching patience then? Oh, of course. Yeah, I know that everyone is trying to jump the gun here, and we've said this an endless amount of time is because of their early success. Yeah. The rebuild started, they made the playoffs right away and that just set the tone for everyone. Everyone was expecting a cup within three years. They're going to have, you know, four or five, 21, 22 year olds yeah. on a Stanley cup winning roster. And that just, it, it's not, ha- it's not going to happen. It's a very, very mature take from you. It is. You can, you can tell it's, it's, it's necessary. That's a, that's a quarantine take. You're preaching it patience. Is. Yeah. It's a, that's someone who hasn't watched sports. I'm, I'm being patient. I'm, I'm trying to be patient. So everyone else better be patient with this team. 
Because if, if I just asked you that question, uh, I don't know who the Leafs were supposed to play tonight, but if I just asked you that question, the Leafs just lost the game. Oh my God. I think the answer would be different, but you can tell well, you watch the Leafs in a couple of weeks. Well, for, for everyone who's, who's been a consistent listener and soon to be viewer, hopefully mm-hmm. uh, just to go back and look at our emergency podcast that we had <laughs> after the backup game and, you know, we weren't preaching any patience after that one. So. Zero patience. <laughs> we were, I was ready to trade yeah. Matthews. We were ready to trade well, everybody after that game. It's, it's Fire everyone. It's because we've – I mean, you, you know this more than ever, but uh, and Leaf fans know this more than ever. This is a fan base that uh, has minimal success in the past 20 years, right? Like it's, yeah. it, it's, it's been ugly in some areas, and sometimes when – you know, you can you can you can see the potential. You want the success yeah. right right away, right? So, yeah. but but patience is right. Like this this core, they're a good core of players. Your Matthews, Marner, uh, Nylander, Tavares, and although maybe all four of them can't stay, you can still build around at least three of those guys, plus Morgan Riley, plus Jake Muzzin, and plus Freddie Anderson. So, yeah. you know, we'll I, I think I think if you're a fan of the Leafs right now, yeah, you better be patient because yeah. this is a team that can do it. Yeah, they can do it, and I firmly believe that this is a core that will win a cup. It's well, just a matter of when. Go, like Brett, Brett brought up St. Louis more than a couple of times, and I think the, the point he was also trying to make as well is that a veteran group like that, who whose core has been together for quite a while, only a group like that could have got could have got out of the slump that they were currently in. Because, mm-hmm. like, like we said, like they were what last place in January last year before they went on that run. So it's. You know, you stay together, you go through up the ups and downs, like you said, and ultimately you can make it out together. And and sometimes teams like that, and this is the sad thing, teams like that that experience something from St. Lake St. Louis don't make it back, don't make it back into a playoff run, don't have the success they had, don't make it to a cup file to a cup final, and end up getting torn apart in terms of their roster and players going in different directions. So it's it was once well, it was a once in a lifetime kind of situation last yeah. year with St. Louis, but it all it all goes back to a strong core and a strong group yeah. and a good coach. Well, there's you 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 see it like and you just mentioned keeping a core together. Um, there are teams that are end up being dynasties, and you know the common element to that is keeping your core together for a very long time. But you've also seen, and you, you mostly see it in the NHL, is cap casualties. Yeah. Um, and that happened to a team like LA, a team then a team like Chicago, where they just had too many guys, um, you know, need, needing contracts at the same time. They end up winning cups, so they had that tied to their name, and they ended up maturing and just leaving for money. Like they end up getting paid top yeah. dollar from all these clubs because they are a Stanley Cup winning player and end up leaving because they're just, just simply getting overpaid or getting a getting a long-term deal in which these these cap crunch teams couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And that was that was the fear with and that is the fear with the Leafs is that these high cap hits that they're signing for these young guys will end up hurting them down the road like they did with you know, the Chicago's and who end up paying Taves and Kane like 10 plus million a year, similar to the Leafs where they actually have, you know, three players right now that are making over 10 million. So that, that presents a lot of challenges, but I mean, if Dubas is confident that they can get it done, you kind of put your trust in them. The other future working so far, it's working so far, but the other future challenge is now with uh, COVID-19 
taken over or essentially canceling the sports world. And let's focus on the NHL specifically. If they lose out on the rest of the season, that's no, that's, that's zero revenue for the second half of the season. And that means the salary cap is probably going to either stay at 82 yeah. million or fall below 82 million, yeah. depending on the situation. So that could potentially be another, another challenge for Kyle Dubas in trying to keep this core together. Um, so I don't know what that's going to look like, but yeah. you know, I think me and you are both kind of hopeful that maybe there's a way that this season can be salvaged for the NHL or for all sports in general. Um, I know we've, we've talked about, you know, hopefully let's keep our fingers crossed. They can get back to playing in late May, early June. There's been talks that, you know, potentially some sports can return in, in August and September. Um, but everything's up in the air right now and there's really nothing definitive. Um, I just find it t- tough uh, to do if once you start getting into August. Yeah. Um, you know, are you just going to jump into a new season? Or are you going to have to shorten or push the next season? Are you going to, you know, reduce training camp? There's so many decisions that they have to make. We talked about um, this last to save the, the season that's that are going to be difficult to to make. We talked about this on the last podcast. I can see them cutting right to the playoffs. So I think either way, how many games have they played? Uh, the Leafs 70, 71 games, 70, yes, 71 games. I think seventy one. Uh, I think either way, you're going to be looking at potentially thirty games lost. That's thirty games per team in revenue generated for the league. That's going to be lost. I think they cut right to the playoffs and at least try to salvage something in getting that revenue um, with, you know, with a full NHL playoffs, which you could have over the course of an August and September, you know, I don't know exactly um, how that would feel because we're so used to playoff hockey being in the spring and, you know, in, into the summer, but um, yeah, it, it would be really different if you just fired up some playoffs later in the year, let's say August, September, and then went, went right into a fresh season, maybe late in October, not start early October, but late in October. But I don't think anyone would be complaining. No one's going to be, no, no one's going <laughs> to, no I'm not going to be complaining. No, 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 not a, no. You can have the season. You can Keep have the going. season <laughs> anytime for me. Like I just want them. It's, it's a shame if, and, and this goes for all sports. It, it would just be a shame if nothing came of anything from the work that was put in from a lot of teams in all sports this season and to, to see it all canceled would completely suck. And I know there's something bigger here that we're all dealing with, which is a global pandemic, but it would just be so unfortunate if, um, if, if they just didn't come back and, and, and you, you can't see through uh, the season that you started, you know? And well, well, Brett touched base on it too. Like um, if, well, the professional leagues will go on, but the thing that will, that will be crushing is the March madnesses, the oh, yeah. playoffs, yeah. like kids who kids yeah. or younger players who aren't going to get a second shot right. at competing for a major championship. That's the set. That's because the they're going to be overaged or because they're going to be graduating yeah. school and will be able to play. That'll be the most crushing athletes. You know what? You're going to lose out on a season. That's fine. Number one, you're still getting paid millions of dollars. Yeah. Number two, you're going to get a shot at it next season, unless you're a veteran player who is close to retirement. Like right. Guys, I think of like right. Joe Thornton's and the, the Patty Marlowe's out there. Exactly. Uh, but exactly. Th- that's, that's just going to be the most crushing is to like the players that aren't going to get, potentially aren't going to get another shot at competing for a championship where we might have had the best chance to win it this year. And let the, let's even go like below 
below all this, like below professional, below uh, university, like high school sports. Imagine you're a grade 12 student. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're, you're graduating last, who will never get another chance to do this. Last year to play, like, you know, you're going to go into what soccer season and stuff. Like you don't get that as a grade 12 student and, and you don't really have the option to come back for, for um, you know, a 13th year or a, sorry, a fifth year, I should say. Um, I was getting mixed up with grade 13 there. But yeah, it's it it affects a lot of people, and not just in professional sports, not just in youth sports, but in just in amateur and in high school sports too. So yeah. unfortunate, man. But well, you see, you see me. I'm wearing my Jays cap. I got my blue yeah. on right now. Yeah. Reason for that is because today was supposed to be opening ah, day. Look at you, eh? So yeah, you. very thoughtful. Very. Back, thoughtful. We're, we're getting the video going. I'm going to start prepping, man. You're going to see some hats, maybe some signs. Well, I should have worn my Moss. messages. I should have worn my Matthews jersey or yeah. something, or my like yeah. Raptors Lowry jersey. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, that 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 was uh, would be pretty crushing today too. Like you're looking at opening yeah. day and the MLB season hasn't even started. Did you I don't see the end of this season? Speaking of the MLB, did you see the uh, uh, Scott Boris, who's termed the super agent of, of baseball? Did you see what he proposed about, for, uh, about playing in December? about playing in December. Absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Well, so the season would start, the season would start what? In, I think you said June and yeah. run through December. Yeah. It depends how many games they play. Like if first and foremost, I think the MLB season is way too long, way too long. 162 games. Well, and that's the thing, unnecessary. right? Unnecessary. I, I, I agree with you. So it's like, why are people saying, okay, well let's just play an hundred game season. Yeah. Oh, I think a hundred games would be more than, more than and it, but you have a super agent saying, I want to play 166. Cause I think it was a 166 game schedule that would be played from June to December into Christmas. So you're playing like almost every day. Yeah. I don't know. It's um, again, we've never played baseball. So I don't know, like, can we, are we really ones to say that the season's too long? Like maybe, maybe baseball players think it's appropriate. I, well, I don't know. Like, well, look at, um, we have to get a baseball player on here, but I, I, mean, I think it's too long personally. I think a hundred games is more than enough. 162 or whatever it is. It's. it's well, say what much. you say, what you want about baseball, but I mean, those guys are absolutely incredible athletes. Oh, and they are. Yeah. What's going to be the most taxing I believe is on your pitchers, pitchers, catchers, you, know, you guys are th- are throwing every day. Yeah. Um, if you're expecting them to start more, look at look at the amount of injuries that these pitchers oh times. have have had. Like they just announced, like Chris Sale, Noah Syndergaard. Like these guys are getting Tommy John at 28 years old. Yeah, some of them. like super young, super young, like phenom athletes and, and yeah. pitchers that are just destroying their arms. And it's because I guess you could say that they're they're bigger, they're stronger. Um. You know, there's more wear, more whip. Like the, the the velocity on their throws is just is causing so much tension on their arms. They're just blowing their arms out at such such a young age, and and that was that's the big struggle that uh, pitchers are having, even when they're kids, is just overuse. And I think if you're gonna, we, we talk about like in basketball, we're referring to like load management. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you really want to start saving your pitchers, you got to start playing less games and less starts. So I think you're gonna see. Uh, people especially in baseball lobbying to get these seasons shortened and i i think they're right i think there's way too many games in baseball and it's just it's just not needed did you see also though that some players came out some uh, major league baseball players came out and said 
that they'd be okay with playing back consistent back to backs or I don't know if they mean like double headers, like two in one day. I don't know if they, I, mean, I, think, a, I think that's what they meant. Ideas. There's been a I, few ideas for back to back double headers. Like that would be, I guess, I guess you have different pitchers in each game, but still like by it, but by all means, they, they want to try to squeeze in these 160 games. So yeah. I haven't heard any talk about shortening the season yet. I think it's a viable option for Major League Baseball anyway, but it sounds like for a lot of them, they want to keep the 160-game schedule going, but we'll see. Well, the, the, the interesting thing about what Boris was saying is that they want to play games in December, but if you're an East Coast team, especially in the Northeast, oh, yeah. you're going to be pitching in the winter. Yeah. So if you're a, if you're a player, are you, are you prepared to play a World Series game in potentially a snowstorm? <laughs> and can you imagine? Could you imagine watching a World I, Series? I'd love to watch in that a, in a blizzard. I, mean, I think this, it'd be. I think it'd be fantastic to watch. The sliding to the, from base to base yeah. would be incredible. You just see a pitcher in the mound just getting hammered with snow, <laughs> and trying to pitch to home plate. Yeah, I think it'd be phenomenal. Yeah. But if you're a player, who they also they they struggle right now with playing in the rain. Could you imagine pitching in a snowstorm? I think it'd be fantastic, but I think it's just—I don't know. I think it's, well, look at last year; like they had games starting in April, and there was snow on the ground, and they had, they actually had snowstorms uh, postponing games in April. Yeah, they. Yeah, like, that. are you are you ready for that? And I don't think baseball is. Yeah, I think us here, like if you, if we were watching the Jays in in December outside, I know they play in a dome, but if they were playing inside in December, I think uh, us Canadians would absolutely would would love it and die for it, but. Yeah, um, I don't think a lot of many Americans would want that. Look at us, eh? We're just we're continuing to find sports topics to talk about, even though there's no sports on. Yeah, just trying to find something to do to pass the time. And I'm mean, I've been quarantined. I, I don't talk to. I feel like I'm in jail right now. Like I don't even talk to anybody. I'm working from home all day. Just just itching to get out. I went out for the first time in five days today. <laughs> I went to Fortino's. Just I had to get some grocery shopping done. Yeah. And man, it's, it's weird out there. Like, yeah, there's like one entrance you can go into at, at, uh, Fortino's there's like plastic, uh, boards covering the cashiers. There's like lines everywhere on how to keep your distance or what an appropriate distance is. Everyone's just like afraid to go near people. Like it's, it's really, really weird. But I, f- I forced myself out yesterday to, to go for a walk. Well, yeah, we've been doing that. And too, just, yeah. just even around my neighborhood, just like, you you're you're so used to hearing like just the usual sounds of your neighborhood cars going by traffic you yeah know, if you live near a busy street you're hearing that but i went out yesterday and it was just dead yeah silent. yeah it's weird it's very people, weird people walking crossing the street not avoiding each other you know hearing pretty much nothing it's just like really i'm not gonna say apoc- apocalyptic no it's eerie it's the right it's, word it's, it's, it's different it's eerie it's surreal um, it's something that we've, I, I don't think we've ever lived through. I know people talk about like SARS pandemic and, and we lived through that. We were young, but it but, was, it wasn't like nothing but, was closed. No yeah. leagues were, were canceled. Yeah. We haven't seen anything like this before in our, in our time at least. So, so as we, uh, as we wrap up here, um, I hope, uh, you guys, the audience, um, enjoyed this episode. We had an interview uh, with Brett Gustafson. We're going to have more interviews to come as we um, quarantine and social distance ourselves. Um, for those that are watching us on YouTube, 
this is a first for us. We're, we're just starting. Exactly. We're just starting, um, you know, video podcasting as well. So we will have full video, full audio um, for our audience uh, to come going forward here on Purpose what's our, Offside. Where's our, what's our channel? Uh, Purposely Offside. Type it in. Purposely Offside. Purposely Offside, man. That's At all you can Sports Talk on Twitter. Purposely underscore Offside on Insta. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. Everywhere. We're everywhere. We're on every social media platform. Uh, so you can give us a follow. Um, I've been firing it up on our Instagram uh, lately. I don't know if you checked that out, but uh, I'm firing out a few, uh, a few clever, funny memes, you know, because, you know, it's getting boring around here. So I got to keep myself occupied in some capacity. <laughs> but we got to work on our backdrops here, you know, like we need some purposely yeah, offside have, have, backdrops. Pretty, pretty, pretty bland. Uh, we'll work on it. Yeah, hey, I got like a door and a blank wall. Yours is nice. You got like a nice picture going on. I, I got a deer place. behind me. That's all I got. Yeah. A Milwaukee buck. Yeah. We'll is, that, uh, is that a Jonas? No. It's not a Jonas <laughs> attentive coupon. Um, I just got to ask because we've been talking sports for a little bit. And before we go, I would be doing our audience um, um, horribly if I didn't ask you what you thought of Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay, especially after we ripped Tampa Bay apart. <laughs> On our last podcast. <laughs> um, I am completely shocked. Um, first off, I think they they hit a home run. I, I hate to say this. I hate Tampa, to say this. Tampa Bay hit a home run? I, hit, I hate to say this because I am so anti-Tom Brady. I've been so anti-Patriots my entire life. I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I absolutely love that he's out of the AFC finally. After all the terrible losses, after all the playoff losses, the Super Bowls, you name it. Yeah. But for Tampa Bay to just swoop in and get a guy like that with the offense that they have, um, they they got to be a, a close. This is really weird to say, but they got to be almost a close favorite to win the NFC South next year. Okay, so I know when we talked about Tampa Bay last time, we were both like. He's not going there. And I think, I don't know about you, but I see them as kind of like a Mickey Mouse franchise. I don't know if that's just, that's just me. Like there's Tampa Bay. They actually, I think they hold their practices inside um, like a Disney complex. Um, but I, I, I just don't, I don't take them seriously. I don't think Tampa Bay, I don't know why, because they've had some pretty decent teams. Well, over they, the years. Since they, since they won the Super Bowl, they've been a nothing team. Exactly. They, Histor, exactly. Historically, they've been one of the worst franchises in the NFL. So that's not, that's, not named the Cleveland Browns. That's why and, I see them as like a Mickey Mouse franchise. I don't take them seriously. No. But if you look at their offensive talent with Mike Evans, Chris is it Goodwin or Godwin, Godwin, yeah, Chris Godwin, um, they have Peyton Barber there now, or yeah. Peyton Barber is the running back. Like yeah. OJ Howard, OJ Howard is a tank at as at tight end. Like offensively, it makes sense, but defensively, they're not a good team. No, but I think people have been saying the one thing that's been killing the Bucks for years is that they haven't had a quarterback, mm-hmm. and you know. There are a lot of comparisons between Brady and Winston in terms of like the passer rating and things like that from last year. Like, yeah, he put up a ton of yards, but um, he just wasn't an accurate quarterback. Just look at his look at his interceptions. Um, but now you throw the great or the greatest quarterbacks of all time with two 
two 1,000 yard receivers. Mike Evans has, I think he set a record. He's got six, six or seven straight 1,000 yard seasons to start his career. I, I think that's a record, if I'm not mistaken. Mike you Evans. Put, yeah, you put you put you put a guy like that with Tom Brady, they could have an absolutely lights out. And you got and you got him in fantasy. You're gonna keep him now. I do. I am. You're gonna you're gonna I'm, keep. I'm, I'm calling him right now. I'm I'm keeping Mike Evans. Okay, so we we year. are just for our audience. We are in a fantasy football league. I traded Jordan Mike Evans. He gave me a first round pick in next year's draft because my team was horrible. I went three and ten. So you're saying on record you're keeping Mike Evans. Yep. Wow. And he's gonna he's gonna get close to two thousand yards next year. Wow. That's my so hot take. I, I hope you know. I hope you know though. Uh, and I know you do because you're a smart guy when it comes to you know everything and sports too. I'm I'm a biggest like I'm a Brady guy, right? Like I, I'm a Patriots fan. But you know that Tampa Bay is getting a 42, 43 year old Brady, not like Brady for two five. for two years, not one year, two years. I know, but like it's, I think Tom Brady is going to be decent, but he's not going to be the best quarterback in the league. Maybe that offense could make him the best quarterback in the league, but he's still going to make the throws. I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying, like, it's sometimes in sports, it's so weird to see what one year can do to a player. So what's another year going to look like uh, with Tom for Tom Brady? Like, what's it he going to look – you know, what's it, he going to look it, like? It all depends on how he takes care of himself. Like, people – well, he's uh, – you know, people have just spoken about Brady being, like, one of the most in shape – not in shape, but I mean, for a guy his age. Yes. He takes care finding, of finding the fountain of youth with Tom Brady. He's got his TB12 program. You know, he, he eats super clean. He hasn't, he hasn't been injured mm-hmm. aside from his, his ACL years in 20, ago. Yeah, in 2011. He, he hasn't had injuries. He hasn't taken hits, but that will get put to the test this year with that Bucks offensive line. Well, and he's in a good um, division too, right? Like he's, and he's in a tough division. So he's, we'll he's, see, he's that might, but that might push him to play well yeah. knowing just how stacked and how competitive that division is and now is look at the, look at the quarterbacks in the division all well yeah stud, top top 5 top 10 quarterbacks another hall of famer in that division Drew Brees and you're yeah cuz you're not you're not facing you the know, Bills twice like a crappy Bills team twice you're not going to face a crappy Miami, Jets and Miami team yeah. you're going to go against the New Orleans Saints with Drew Brees you're going to go against the um Carolina Panthers, who I know they lost, um, you know, they lost Cam Newton. Now they're probably not going to be the same team they've been over the past few seasons. Um, you got the Bucks in there, and then who's Atlanta? Atlanta. And they got the Falcons, uh, who have Matt Ryan as their quarterback. So you have, I mean, you have three solid quarterbacks in that division with Brady, Ryan, and Breeze. It's going to be much more competitive than the AFC East that he's been used to over the past twenty seasons. Yeah, one hundred percent. So that 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 by, that's going to be a new challenge for Brady, and and I I think he's ready for it, or else he wouldn't have gone there. So it's going to be uh it's going to be interesting this year. Something came out today, and I think this speaks to um I think this speaks to and I don't know who sold Brady on this. I don't know if he sold himself on this idea, or if Tampa Bay sold him on the idea. But Tom Brady actually filed the trademark today for TB times TB. I don't know if you saw that. Nope. Okay, so he filed the trademark today, March 26th, for TB times TB. So Tampa okay. Bay times Tom Brady. Um, so I got to think that his decision to go to Tampa Bay, I don't, I don't want to give it a Jerry's percentage, 
but I got to think a certain percentage of it, a certain percentage of it was um, a marketing branding perspective, Tampa Bay TB, Tom Brady TB. So I don't know how much that plays into that. I think today's news with that trademark gives us some indication that there was a certain percentage um, of Tom Brady's decision to go to Tampa Bay that was made for a purely advertising marketing reason. And it makes sense. Well, I think guys at guys of that stature and that age um, make decisions smartly mm-hmm. there. And, and a guy like him who is smart, ha- has it all has, <laughs> has won. Everything is loaded. Literally has it all. Does not need money. Doesn't need anything. Doesn't need any more yeah. fame. Nothing. That is strictly a business move for him. And circle back and look at LeBron. His decision to go to LA was 100% business. And family. Because he he wanted his son to play in California. Family. High school ball. Mostly business. Mostly business. The minute the LeBron, the Lakers news was confirmed, the minute that that happened, the Space Jam rumors started coming out and things like with production started coming out, similar to what, you know, um, you know, Kobe was starting to do as well. But um, guys like that make decisions for a specific reason. It's mostly because of another business move that's coming post uh, playing career. Well, hopefully he can take care of business on the field next year too, because I'd love, I'd love to see Brady succeed. Um, like I said, I'm a Brady guy. I don't. I want somebody else to win again next year. <laughs> I don't know hey, about you, but I... I don't know about you, but I love that Super Bowl without the Pats in it. I, you know, I'm still a Pats fan. I'm just going to put that on record. <laughs> just because Brady's left doesn't mean I'm not a Pats fan. But I do like to see. I see. I will like to see uh, Brady succeed in that division, the NFC South. Watching Tampa Bay, watching uh, Carolina, watching uh, New Orleans, and watching Atlanta is going to be that's going to be one of the most exciting divisions to watch next year in the NFL. Um, but yeah, I, I want to see Brady succeed. I also think the the Pats should go out and sign Cam Newton because. I don't know who else they can uh, really get right now. The, the backup they have is not uh, is not going to be someone to lead them to the promised land. But um, I'm hoping. I don't know. I'm hoping the uh, the Pats can can sweep in on sweep in on Cam Newton after he was released yesterday. So we'll leave it at that, buddy. We'll leave it at that. Good podcast. Good the video. First, cast. first official video pod is done. And we did it by practicing safe social distancing right. and by listening to our government to not um, to not get together, to stay at home. And that's exactly what we did. And it was one hell of a podcast. All right, buddy, more to come. All right, more to come, guys. Thanks for joining us here on Purposely Offside. We'll chat later. See ya.